Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited about this episode because it's a peek behind the curtain, and that's always very interesting, and I feel very productive. But honestly, Tim, I've been waiting minutes to ask you, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for, uh, for asking. I am the same as I was when we did an intro about 10 minutes ago, Lance, so that's fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm great, actually. <laughs> and and I'm maybe better than usual because in this episode, Lance, we get to speak a lot about the nonprofit that we're on the board of. It's called Private Investigations for the Missing. It was founded by Bruce Maitland, who, of course, is Brianna Maitland's father. Brianna Maitland went missing from Montgomery, Vermont in March of 2004. And, Lance, this nonprofit has accumulated volunteer base wonderful people who love to volunteer their time for this cause and we get to speak with several of them in this episode and it's really exciting because we always talk about who puts together the research material when we speak about these missing persons and to put a voice and a face if you're watching this on youtube to put that together with the people that we speak about when we say this person's missing and the research was provided by kathleen or Erica, or Amy. Now you get to see them. Uh, Jenna Mel joins us as well. She spearheads that department, and she does a fantastic job with that. And if you've been on the fence about joining Private Investigations for the Missing and volunteering your time as a researcher, or anything really, I think this episode goes a long way to maybe make that decision a little bit easier for you. You can hear about their processes, how they work together, what brought them to the table in the first place, and really just like the satisfaction that they get once they hear that information that they put together out there on the podcast, and they know that they've contributed because really that's all they want to do is want they want to help they hear these stories on the podcast and they just think to themselves how can we help and this is how you can help so if again if you're on the fence really listen to this and then uh, reach out to private investigations for the missing at investigationsforthemissing.org. you can email them directly off of that website and uh, volunteer your time it's 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 good for the soul yeah, and you may end up on one of these episodes, Lance. We're um, going to be trying to do these regularly, hopefully monthly, with our researchers. And in this episode, we are joined by Erica Zapita, Kathleen Studer, and Amy Weckel. Those are three researchers who've been working with PIs for the Missing recently, and we caught up with them for this episode. Also, Jennifer Amell joins us for this conversation. And Lance, in this conversation, we speak a little bit about Tika Lewis. Tika has been missing from Tacoma, Washington since 1999. She was two years old at the time of her disappearance. She was likely abducted from a bowling alley. And Lance, I think we did two episodes on Tika's disappearance back in January. And you could scroll back and find some of those. And uh, it's from Tacoma. And if you have any information, please call 253 798 Four seven two one. And Tika's story was one of the first ones that Kathleen tackled when she joined Private Investigations for the Missing as a researcher. So that's why we highlighted that one here. And we hope to do that with each one of the researchers moving forward during these monthly episodes. Uh, this one is like a lot of backstory about how they got to the nonprofit. But hearing their feelings about the people that they're looking into and how that's affecting them not in a negative way so much as a satisfying way. They got to contribute to this person's story 
raise the visibility. All right, so stay tuned for more of these monthly researcher roundtables, and I hope you enjoy it. And make sure to follow the links in the show notes and follow PIs for the Missing and Missing on social media. And if you have any information on any of these missing person cases, you can go to investigationsforthemissing.org and you can submit tips by calling 866-331-6660 or emailing piftmtips at gmail.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the podcast. We are being joined now by a team of researchers from Private Investigations for the Missing. It's Jennifer Amell, Kathleen Studer, Erica Zapita, and Amy Weckel. How are you all doing today? Doing doing great. Good. Good. Now, this is a Zoom for everyone out there listening. This is a Zoom that we're on. Uh, there are currently six people, so bear with us. This is the first time that we've done a roundtable uh, discussion, so bear with us. There might be um, some stopping and starting, uh, but we're going to try to maintain it the best we can. We were saying before we started recording, first, thank you for joining us, but also we mention the research team at Private Investigations for the Missing so often because we do these uh, missing person stories on the podcast Missing, and it always starts off with, this is from the case files of Private Investigations for the Missing. This information was compiled by, and we put the researcher's name in. I think it's really cool that we're doing this right now and really important to see, as a listener, to see and hear the voices and put faces to uh, these individuals who dedicate and donate their time to research missing missing people and put together that information that's so like crucial for us to take and then try to put out to the public to raise the awareness. So thank you for what you do and just know like this right here is incredibly important just in the grand scheme of what 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 goes on in true crime. I just want to say, like, thank you guys so much for all of the hard work that you give to this organization. Um, and I, I wanted to, like, give a little background, like a kind of origin story um, for the research team at Private Investigations for the Missing. I want to say it's been, like, almost, like, two and a half, three years now, I think, that we've had a research department. I know Bruce contacted me years ago and he was like you know we really need someone to jump in who's not necessarily a PI like not out in the field um, but just to gather whatever is publicly available out there Um, and it 
quickly became apparent that we were getting way more cases than we could that I could handle personally. So I think Erica, you were one of the first ones who came on board, right? Was I one of the first? I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's been a, it's been a while, and it's been it's been weird because it's been during COVID, so time feels like skewed. But yeah, I think um, I just I you know I've been a fan of Missy Mar Murray since the beginning, and I've been listening for years. And for years, I wanted to like I thought, how could I donate? Like, what can I do? You know, you listen to all these cases, and. I just always at the end of every um, episode, I would just, I, I would feel like, okay, what can I do to help this missing person? One day I finally was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to email private investigations for the missing. I like, I already knew your name. I already had like, I, I even like sat on my email for a couple of weeks because I was so nervous to, to send it. But um, that's how I got involved. I just was like, Hey, can I help? In any like, is there anything I can do to help? I just always felt like such a responsibility at the end of, I've listened to a lot of, of missing persons podcasts and um, I just always, always ended the podcast with like, what could I do to help? That's how I got involved. I didn't know that I was actually one of the first researchers, but that's, that's really cool. Well, just for your peace of mind, when that email came in, we made fun of it. We were laughing and <laughs> laughing. So your nerves were very well founded. That, that's that's what I imagined. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 still, sometimes we go back on it. And we just 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 to laugh again. We reread it. <laughs> totally kidding. Oh my god. Yeah. On the contrary, we got your email, and I was like, yes, finally help. Someone's listening. That, I know. But Erica, I mean, I think you share that quality with all of the researchers here. It's like you're not a passive listener to these like tragedies in people's lives. It's like you said yourself at the end of every story, you're like, well, what can I do? And I think that's, that's pretty rare. It's like, it's like, um, it, it personally touched you so much that you like felt compelled to get involved. And I think, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And can you tell us a little bit more about your background? I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I grew up in the suburbs, um, been still in Chicago I went to, to, I did my undergrad at um, Illinois State. I went to law school at Southern Illinois University School of Law. And right now I am a program manager with the American Bar Association in Chicago. So um, I, I, I think I have a really cool day job. I get to run the law school competitions for the American Bar Association and the national competitions. and. Um, it's just, it's a really rewarding job. I, I actually competed when I was in law school and an undergrad. And so that kind of set me on a, a trajectory toward this job with the ABA. And so um, I think it's 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 a great program. The ABA sponsors, it, it is one of the only programs that gives young lawyers um, a chance to practice the skills that they're learning. They get to actually um, practice with other other law schools, other students that are learning the same things they are. Um, and so it's really experience-based and it's really rewarding. Um, and there's a really big community out there for competitions. And um, and so I, that's just kind of how I ended up with the ABA. That's very cool. Can you sneak us out um, some some test answers and, uh, and we can kind of fast track ourselves to uh, passing yeah. the bar exam? passing the bar. Yeah, we'll all become lawyers. 
Perfect. Oh, good. You were talking about the Bar Association. I was uh, Googling ABA. I'm just ABA, kidding. Yeah, no. Okay, the American <laughs> Basketball Association? <laughs> you found Dr. J? Yeah. found Dr. J. Well, he's a doctor. <laughs> Abba? <laughs> so, Kathleen Studer, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. You've... Uh, compiled some of the incredible research that we've done lately and uh, i just like to hear a little bit more about your background and how you uh, came to volunteer for private investigations for the missing well it started really with covid um i wasn't really a podcast listener until covid hit and then i was working from home and then it, i could just blast it out while i was working um and i was listening to josh hallmark on uh true crime bullshit and uh, then they did a get vocal one time with Kaz on there. And they had this thing that, that was said that really stuck in my mind that she said is that if each of his listeners could take one missing person and take on their case, and we, we could solve all of them, you know, if we all put our hands on and do work. Um, and like Erica was saying, I'm also one of those people where I don't just watch TV, you know, some of the reality stuff and think, oh, that's really interesting. It's like, okay, now I can see what people can do. Let me go get my hands on it. And so that's kind of what I did as soon as, you know, like within a couple days of Kaz being on there, I got on and sent my letter in and signed up and Jen got me onboarded and uh, here I am. So that was back, I think, last October, November. Uh, and I've been writing like a mad woman ever since. <laughs> yes, you sure have been. And uh, it's much appreciated and it's excellent work. And where, what, what part of the world do you live in? And um, what do you, what's your background for work? So I'm over here on the best coast, on the west coast, <laughs> um, near Tacoma, Washington. Uh, I work for a local city, one of the larger cities here in Washington, as a prosecu prosecution paralegal. I've uh, been doing that about 32 years. Uh, same city, same job, haven't moved. So a lot of this stuff is in my wheelhouse in that I am, it's my job to, to dig into people's backgrounds. Uh, gathering up evidence um, and getting cases ready for the prosecutors to take to court. That's incredibly impressive. And your audio is nice and crisp and clean, and you have a sound blanket behind you. So you showed up uh, prepared for this. Are you, um, are you in the audio field as well, aside from this particular Zoom call? No, that's my husband. He's a he's a producer for a different podcast. Um, and so I'm sitting here at his desk in the office with a couple of shotgun mics <laughs> and the cloth behind me and he, he got me all set up because he's the he's the tech guy he went to he went to school for for journal, journalism and photojournalism and all all the other things so very cool uh he can send the bill to uh private investigations for the missing um there's the the, the some the remittance uh addresses on the uh website in the fine print um when you when you mentioned uh the being on the west coast did you it sounded like you said best coast but i think that might have been a um a no. slip uh oh oh no, that wasn't, wasn't. A, oh, okay it sounded like you misspoke but uh anyway d did you um look at cases 
near your area first and then expand out? Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. Um, when I went to our list of case files that were available to research, uh, first one I pulled was Tika Lewis uh, because it was that happened out of Tacoma. Um, I am, was already very aware of the case. Uh, and um, that, that was definitely a pull for me is to work a case near me. Um, I also did that with Teresa Davidson uh, because, again, she was near me. And once we were sort of out of the cases in the, the um, grouping that we could pick from uh, that were nearby, then I started going out from there. And you just mentioned Tika Lewis. Um, oh, God, boy, that, that one was such a tough one to uh, get through, even simply by looking at the information that you compiled. And we were working off of that. Uh, what was what was that one like? Because it's so unusual uh, with someone that that young. Um, I mean, how, how did you feel about that when you finished up? Well, again, I mean, I knew a lot about the case because it was local and I had watched it throughout the years. Um, but, you know, what I guess I missed during that time period that really got me was how many other children at that same time were going missing in that same area. And um, that that was something that really bothered me. I mean, Tika's case really bothers me because it was a bowling alley full it was crowded. It was league night. Granted, there was a lot of noise. Um, but how does, you know, uh, a three-year-old go missing in front of a whole room full of people and people that were watching her? Um, that, that, that story to me is incredible. Um, and to the fact that now, I mean, that happened in 99. Now, here we are in 2022, and we still don't have any more answers than we did pretty much, you know, within a couple months of when it happened. I found that case, like, particularly striking that it was unsolved because there were, like, multiple sightings of, a, like, a person of interest and, like, matching kind of characteristics. Um, I know we, we may have said pockmarked face, like, 80 times <laughs> in that recording. Um, but there was also a description of a vehicle he may have been driving, too. And with that information, it's, like, so surprising that it's still unsolved. Yeah, and I know Tacoma police worked it very hard, and they had help. Um, but the other thing that sort of astounded me from that case when I was writing it was how much information didn't get out into the public. Um, I know in a lot of cases, they delay putting some out so that they can still have information that the, the suspect um, only knows. But really, I think if they would have gotten more of that information out into the public right away and fed it to them so they could have the public help track this person down, it could have been more successful because a lot of that, you know, came out 20 years later. And that certainly didn't do any good. Um, so, I, you know, it's you can't quarter where quarterback armchair armchair quarterback sorry uh these cases too much um but you, you kind of end up in that space at some point and for anybody who has not heard the coverage that we did on tika lewis we actually did two parts back in december december 9th and december 16th on the uh, missing podcast so i urge people to check that out uh like you said kathleen it's uh it it's 
it's a remarkable, and I hate using that word, but it's a remarkable story. How Tika went missing in that area. I kind of forgot about the amount of children that had gone missing at the same time until you just mentioned it, because that is sort of a sub story to the whole thing. Um, and in similar circumstances, like in groups of people. So anyway, listen to those, those, uh, those episodes, parts one and two, uh, December 9th and December 16th. Um, it's, uh, well worth it. And we'd love to hear from Amy Weckel. Amy, how's it going? It's good. I'm happy to be here. How did you come to volunteer for private investigations for the missing? So I've always been interested, um, and again with Maura, she was a, you know one that I really um, kind of related to. Um, luckily, I don't have any any missing persons in my family or anything like that, so it's strictly um, an interest of mine. Um, and then I heard on the Phoenix Colden case that you were looking for researchers, um, and and that again was in my my area. I'm in Central Illinois, so um, I think. Erica, you and I can agree that the Midwest is the best. Um, you know, <laughs> East or West doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, she went missing around St. Louis, which is only a couple hours from me. So I took an interest in that. And you had mentioned you were looking for researchers at that time. Um, and so I sent an email um, kind of holding my breath. And Jen emailed me back within 24 hours. And I was just shocked. So, um yeah, I'm happy to be part of the team. Amy, your email was so serendipitous. Or like, even since bringing Erica and Kathleen and a couple other researchers that have um, done a few cases here and there, we were running up against this like wall of cases. And so your email came through. I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> we're saved. That always seems to be happening, like right in the nick of time when we are like completely overrun. We get yet another selfless person with time. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be able to help. Amy, what's your background? I'm originally from Michigan, and I got my bachelor's degree from Michigan State um, several years ago. <laughs> um, and then I moved down to central Illinois, and I work at the U of I um, in Urbana-Champaign. Um, I am the assistant director for the Illinois Water Resources Center. Um, there's one of our network. There's, it's a 54 institute network. Um, there's one in every state and every territory in the U.S. Um, and we fund water resource research all, all over the nation. That's Very amazing. Cool. Yeah. Wait, how do you get involved in something like that? Uh, apply at the university. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess my question is, how did you know you were interested in that? Well, um, so originally I worked when I was still in Michigan, I worked at Wayne State University and I was in a lab there that studied um, molecular genetics and genomics, um, kind of comparative evolution of premature birth in humans. Um, and then my boss there got recruited by U of I, so I moved down here. Then he has since moved on to a university in Florida, um, but I stayed put. And because I, I just love the Midwest, I love the, the small town feel around here. And then I happened upon this position that was open for, it was a program manager at the time um, with the Illinois Water Resources Center. And it's really, it's really just a small group of us. It's me and the director, um, and I have a few undergrads. And we mostly just, like I said, fund research, um, connect researchers with funding opportunities and um, build and help identify gaps in water resource research 
in the state of Illinois. Maybe this is a question for Jennifer, but but maybe everyone can can help a little bit with this one. W- what happens when a family member or a friend submits a case to private investigations for the missing? Can you take us through that email's journey? Great question, Tim. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically we... Um, have a kind of system how we triage these cases like we usually select those um, that are submitted by a family member of the missing person Um, we look for those cases that haven't received a whole lot of media attention or you know don't have another pi involved Um, we look for um, markers of you know, low SES status, you know, people of color, LGBTQ people, just cases that are often overlooked. And then from there, Lou Barry, Chief Lou Barry, um, takes a look at the case along with Bruce Maitland. They, you know, search it real quick um, and they kind of decide whether or not to give it to the media side, like which is us in the podcast, or they give it to the PI side. And, you know, sometimes down the line, if a PI has been working a case for a while, they're like, okay, now is the appropriate time to bring it to the podcast to help raise awareness and stuff. But often there there are cases that a PI just, like, can't get involved with for whatever reason. And so from there, um, it goes to Erica. And Erica, I would love for you to talk about what you do. Um, So I do a lot of the preliminary research. Um, So basically, I try to compile one document source with every other public source available. Um, So I start right away. My first first thing is just a plain Google search. Um, I just do a Google search and that gives me kind of like an idea of, you know, whether this person has been reported missing, is there a Facebook post about them or their articles, other media involved. Um, there are times when I get absolutely no hits on Google. And so I know, okay, let's spend, you know, some more time trying to dig, dig up this case. Um, and then there are times where I get pages and pages and pages on Google. Um, and so I try to go and read everything. Um, I click on every link, every resource. And I try to compile it into a document for you guys to take it to the next level. Um, so I try to give you everything I find, whether it's a good fact, a bad fact. Um, you know, I kind of just give you guys the kitchen sink and then let you, you know, have those facts and um, take let them take that take them where they um, they lead you to. But I I don't um, you know, make any, any edits. I kind of just give you everything I can find online about this missing person. I really can't stress enough, like how important your role is, Erica. I mean, we kind of have two lines of defense before a case goes to the rest of the research team. I mean, Lou and Bruce look at them and then you look at them. And, um, this is done to sort of eke out some red flags in cases like, um, I don't know, Erica, you'd probably be better at talking about what red flags are out there. But there's definitely um, cases that are submitted that have to do with custody, like parents that are looking for children um, that we don't really get involved with. Um, There's some cases where there's some gang affiliation that we don't really want to get involved with. Other things that, like, like, the police are actively investigating this case, and it's way too fresh for us to get involved. But Erica, I'm, I'm curious... 
without giving like too much like dirty detail, is there any like instance that you can remember? You're like, oh boy, <laughs> like let's not touch that with a ten foot pole. Like, don't name names, but. <laughs> Um, I mean, I know that there, so there is one case that did have some drug involvement and drug involvement is not a red flag. I don't think necessarily this case, particularly, I thought there might be some, not, not just drug, drug involvement, but like selling drugs. And so I thought it might get, that might, you know, could be one of the causes of for why this person was missing. Um, it turned out that probably was one of the causes and it maybe, um, we were stepping on some like cartel territory a little bit. Um, and so those are the kind of red flags that like, when I mean a red flag of like drug involvement, like just drug involvement is not a red flag. And that's not a reason to not report on a missing person. Um, but for this particular case, the drug involvement in this person's life was going to take us down one of those roads where maybe we don't didn't want to um run this on the podcast or this is something like hey we kind of need to watch out for this um and definitely something for like investigators or researchers to be alerted of and to be kind of watchful of i think one of the other red flags that i try to think about a lot and it's not necessarily a red flag but if an you know if an adult is missing there's a kind of kind of like that fine line you got to walk, like, is this person missing voluntarily? Did they walk away? Or um, I also try to be cautious about like um, maybe women that have gone missing that have gone missing for a reason that are, you know, victims of abuse and things like that. And so maybe they they are missing and they don't want to be found. Um, so I kind of try to think of those things when I'm doing research and I, I really try to focus on like, what do you guys need? So the people that are taking the case next from me, um, you know, it's kind of, we kind of have like a little assembly line um, going. And so I try to think like, what do you guys need from me from the ground up? What can I, how much data can I give you? Um, and so sometimes you get like these really long emails. You guys have read some really long emails from me. Um, and that's because I just try to give you everything and then, you know, let you guys, let Lou, let the, the more um, experienced researchers kind of take on everything that I've found. And I, I try to do like the dirty work for you guys, get everything done. Um, I, I flag those things that I kind of think are, are red flags, something we need to watch or look at. Um, sometimes uh, sometimes, you know, Jennifer, you will have like, you'll stop us right there and say, okay, Erica, thanks for your email. Lou, we need you. This, this is going like, you know, um, so we kind of, kind of do things like that. But yeah, now I'm ranting, but I do with a prelim research and it's fun. I like it. No, oh, it's super interesting. I do know exactly what case you were talking about before. And we did, we definitely did find a way to talk about that missing person without, you know, mentioning specifics or, you know, um, those red flags that you mentioned. That happens frequently. Like, like I'll talk to Lou or Greg over Acker and, and Lou definitely oversees the whole investigative process. Like every case that we're like, we have PIs on or, you know, that the research team is doing and he'll look over it and like he is so seasoned. I mean, how long was he chief of police? Or like Yeah, like twenty five years or something like that. Twenty five years. Something like that. Right. Yeah. 
Right. So he he knows exactly. He's like, okay, mention this, but don't mention this, and we'll see what comes back. So the PIs are actually looking at what feedback comes in from the podcast. Like they'll look at comments, if we get any emails, that sort of thing. Like they're using this podcast as an investigatory tool too. Shh, don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, Okay, so so once, Erica, you've done preliminary research, then that case goes to Kathleen. And then Kathleen, what what do you do uh, with that? They don't come directly. I do have a list that I can pick from. So I can sort of, it's like this one sparks me um, and I'm really interested in, in digging into it. What I do is limited basically to data mining. Um, I don't contact any witnesses or victims. I have no contact with the, with the public at all. I am getting into... Uh, the World Wide Web and just finding what I can. Um, I start with all of the news agency stuff. um, And I usually build myself a document where I I pull links and pull links and pull links of all of that stuff. And then I start reading it and pulling out information that I think is important that I'm going to use. And then so I have a really messy worksheet going on, and then I build a document from that. Um, and I'm also pulling photos because you guys like to have a visual when you're telling the story on the podcast. Um, and I think, you know, it, it was interesting because the very first case was Tika Lewis, and it was sort of trial by fire. I had no idea what you would make out of my document onto the podcast. And so it was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Um, After I listened to the episodes. And so now I I try to balance, you know, I I have two mindsets. I am trying to compile everything I possibly can for a private investigator if it gets picked up after the podcast. So I want everything in there. I want to pack the record as much as I can um, for that. But I also want to pack it for you guys, but also think of the journalistic side of it as well. So sometimes that's been a little bit of a balance. Learning lessons in the last six months or so that I've been doing this, sticking to the news stories. And then I go to places like Facebook um, and look at all of the comments of the people that are involved. And then sort of at the end is where I'll end up potentially in Web Sleuth and, and Reddit and those kinds of places because I, I want the story, then I use the people around the story that I can have access to their comments um, to sort of get a feel for the person or the situation. And then I go out further to those other places where I don't want to necessarily use any of that information, but it still gives me a feel for it as well. Um, And then take all of that and try to build something in, I try to stay as chronological as I, or or just logical as I can for you guys and pack it with as as much as I can. Excellent work too. Um, I am very impressed with the, uh, <laughs> this the self awareness that you keep uh messy spreadsheets okay. messy uh <laughs> that because some people operate better that way some people operate where it's sort of like a mind mapping you know uh process where they just need to throw everything down and then kind of work through it in their own way you know like it's it it might be a mess but it's your mess and you understand it 
Right. Well, and that way, I, what I discovered, what I can do too is, I mean, sourcing information is very important. And so when I when I do it that way, then I can take you know the link there, so I've got it ready for the sources, and then I know that I've used this information, but then I haven't used this one, so I can get rid of that link, so that I can make sure that it's as succinct as possible, and we're not we're getting you guys are getting correct information. There's not misinformation happening. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Amy, what cases are you looking forward to tackling for uh, for P.I.s to the Missing? Well, the first one I took a look at was a little disappointing. Um because it looks like there's not a lot out there and um, it looks like maybe he was found deceased about three days after the mother contacted private investigations for the missing. So I don't have a lot of information on that one. And so I was a little, oh, we're too late. You know, it was, it was sad. Other than that, I think what I'm drawn to is the, um, the cases that are uh, the underrepresented, which is what I know missing um, focuses on anyway. So that's definitely the kind of cases I'm looking for. You know, I, I know about Mora and I followed that case. I've also followed the Delphi murders um, pretty closely. And those ones have really touched me as well. But yeah, I think the underrepresented is, is what I'm looking to help. And have you uh, started your own process? with how you're gathering the information? Because I think it's fascinating hearing from Erica and from Kathleen how they uh, scour the web and they use social media. What's your process uh, so far? Yeah, it's it's very similar to Kathleen's. I pull a lot of sources and put the links into a document and then I go back through and try to reorganize it chronologically. Um, I do a lot of the Facebook searching as well, um, looking for, you know, depending on the age of the, the missing person too. You know, it might vary to Instagram or or... TikTok or who knows. Um, but um, yeah, I just have a lot of things that I throw into a document and then I go back in and reorganize as I'm trying to tell the story. We can go around the horn uh, with this next question if you want, but uh, when you're looking into the social media of a missing person, how does that, how do you, how do you take that? Like, how does that strike you? Because when we look at text messages or, um, Facebook posts, or even in the case of Michael Kroll, he, he would post uh, videos. When you're looking at like communication, 
from someone who you're not sure is even alive anymore. Uh, well, how does that affect you? I think for me, it's the parents. The parents' profiles are the ones that get me, you know, because they're constantly reminding people that this person is missing and people need to know about it and need to be aware and be working on it. And so those are the ones that really get me as far as, you know, seeing their last post. That's always kind of interesting as well. It's such a, a sad and surreal feeling looking at somebody's last post. Um, and it's kind of like you're looking and you feel like you're reading, you know, you can get lost. I, I get lost a lot of times in, in looking at these kinds of things. Um, it, it just, it feels almost like, you know, a secret ahead of time and you just want to reach out and tell them, you know, don't do this thing or don't, don't, don't go to that place on this day. Um, it's really hard. And um, I think that a lot of the cases that I um, find myself attached to, um, you know, people like Mara, um, I just, cause I was kind of in college. And so I, I could put myself in their shoes a lot. Same thing with Brianna and Alyssa Turney. Like I put, I think those cases stand out to me and I, I kind of know them like the back of my hand because I was that, that girl. I could have gone, um, you know, I could have done the same thing that Mara did or um, Brianna. And so I think while I listened to these cases and, you know, learned their stories, I kind of envisioned myself um, doing those things. And so I just became, you know, you just become invested. Um, and, and like Amy was saying, the cases that don't um, get you know, the, um, the kind of coverage that they should get, you know, there are, there are so many reasons why, um, but I, I find myself drawn to those cases as well. And what about you, Kathleen? Yeah. Same, same question. Uh, it, it's, I, that's, I mean, it is hard. And I agree with Amy that it's hard in, I, I have a hard time, not only in, on the person's social media, but then you start to see the people that they're around them going like, hey, dude, where are, where are you? You know, what happened to you? Or, you know, and people asking those questions and the, the family members and just I can I can feel the anguish um, as the process is starting for them, even if it's a case um, that's been a few years old. You know, now I'm right into the time period of when it happened. And trying to untangle that, um, it, it's, it's, it's hard. But I, I mean, I think it's helpful for me a little bit that I've been in prosecution for so long. I mean, unfortunately, you get a little jaded in that there's a lot of bad stories out there. So um, I try to separate myself some from, from it. I don't allow it to get in. That's what we do over here as well, because if you're covering so many missing person cases, then you're covering so many families and individuals who want that person found. So you're dealing all the time with uh, someone else's uh, anguish. And uh, it, it it's interesting to hear it on that layer. You know, we, we have the front facing layer. You guys are you ladies, I'm sorry, are uh, working on it in the background. But there's there's more than there's more of that tragedy that you're looking at, because 
we're getting it uh, sort of filtered at that point, but you're getting it like raw. You're getting it at the point where um, you're deciding, should we be looking at the the mother posting this particular post about her son? You know, whether or not we see that is really up to you. I guess, where is that line? Um, is it the kind of thing you know it when you see it? Like if you see social media posts and they make it into the research, why do you do that? Is there something in particular that you see? Well, for, before I get to that, I also want to say from our level is it's really difficult because it's so hard um, doing this, not not being able to reach out. It's like I, I want to contact some of these people and we can't. It, that's not our job. Um, we can't interfere in an investigation and it needs to be a private investigator that's going to do it if, if that's the case. Um, so that's where some of my anguish comes in. Um, I, I have had, and I've had conversations with Jen, I can think of one particular case where, um, I edited something out and she, she found it. And for me, it was just something that I didn't think as far as the podcast goes, that it would necessarily make it better. And in fact, it would potentially divide these families who were on either side, um, further and so but it's you know something it definitely comes up is that what what do we put in what do we keep out and how do we treat that and what what is going to be the after effects down the line after the the podcast airs of what these families are doing and saying and thinking not not towards the podcast but towards each other when they may not agree on what happened to their loved ones Great point there. Now, Erica, what cases have stuck with you when uh, when you're doing your research? Um, I remember the the very first case I did, um, Denia J- uh, Gillespie. 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 Yeah. yeah. So that was one of the first cases I did, and I think that her case will always stick out for me. I mean, not just because it was one of the first cases I researched, but. It, it really opened up my eyes and she was a young black woman who went missing. It was kind of shocking to me to be looking for research and not have many places to go. Um, and not, ha- not, not, I mean, um, there are some missing people who get tons of exposure and media coverage and um, even, you know, local media coverage, not only or not only local, but national media coverage as well. Um, And I just remember Denia, it felt like nobody was looking for her. Um, And I don't know, I just always feel it's that feeling of helplessness that I, um, I think gives me a lot of the agony and especially in researching and you know now I I have I am doing something to help missing people now I am and so I don't have to wonder what what more can I do or what can I do when I listen to these cases um but I mean I think oftentimes it's like it's the young vulnerable women that stick in my mind, because um, I think I can put myself in there, you know, I, I, I can put myself in their position. I'm walking my dogs and I'm listening to a podcast and I'm thinking, well, oh, I could have done that same thing in, in college. I did that same thing. And that, you know, 
that didn't happen and that wasn't how it resulted. And I get caught up in, in a lot of those cases where I can relate. And then there are the cases like um, the, the kids, when kids go missing, um, that those are the hardest cases for me. I think the case you guys just recently did with Tika. I've listened to like all our cases that we do, all the cases you guys do in profile. And that case was especially hard for me. I mean, I think just the facts of like, it happened in a bowling alley. There were so many potential witnesses. Um, those cases really bugged me also. Um, kind of the cases where like you could think, well, well, what if just this one thing had had happened? What if somebody, you know, one person? Um, and, and I truly also feel very strongly with, I know you guys have kind of gone with this mantra that like somebody knows something. I feel that's very strong and, and it's true. And, and um, a lot of these cases, I'll get to the end of my research and, um, you know, I'm writing it up for you guys. And I'm like, this one could use exposure. This case could use, it feels like this case could be solved if we could just get the right eyes on it. And Amy, uh, you've been hearing words like anguish and tragedy and being the the newest member is this uh something that you were expecting and are you hearing this now and thinking like this is going to be a little bit more emotionally challenging than you anticipated no it's it's definitely not um it's just being able to contribute like erica said i think now that i'm able to contribute that that um counteracts the anguish you know it's it, i'm i'm doing something to help. And that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a great answer. And it's, uh, it, it's great to hear from all three of you saying these very similar things. And uh, I didn't really realize until we're talking about it right now that these episodes are going to go a lot further raising uh, the, the visibility and the awareness and the exposure for these missing people because we're recapping. You know, we're going back and we didn't get on and say we're going to talk about Tika Lewis. We're going to talk about Denia Gillespie. We, these are things that are naturally coming up because these are the ones that stuck with you. Uh, and then, then, you know, in a month when we do this again, there'll be there'll be other ones. And then maybe we'll go back to like the very first one we ever covered. You know, this is doing a lot more. Uh, than, than I expected it to do as far as keeping those names out there and keeping all that uh, information, uh, you know, f uh, relevant and fresh. So people will go back now and say like, oh, yeah, that Denia Gillespie, that that one. Right. I forgot about that one. I'll go back and re-listen to it, you know, and maybe maybe something comes up, you know, maybe somebody in that area where Tika disappeared, you know, someone's going to revisit that and maybe there's, you know, some clue or, or someone remembers seeing something or hearing something. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on like one more element of this whole process. And that is like family interviews. And um, usually I handle those things. And that decision is not because I think I'm better at talking <laughs> to family members. I mean, you guys would be excellent at it, too. But there was a directive given to me by by Lou that we wanted to limit the number of people that like um, interview people in these cases just um, because it can get messy. Um, like one person talks to six different people and they get different stories and the facts are confused and stuff. So that's the only reason we do it that way. And also, you know, want to record them for the episode too. But like, I just want to say like, for me, the research feels clinical in a way. Like, 
like I have this chronology in my head and I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense that they went here first before that place because it's located on the map here. Um, but I find the process of talking to the family to be like kind of the most damaging <laughs> part of this whole process because like every time you talk to them you're meeting another person in the bit in the midst of their like life's tragedy you know and like Tim and Lance you guys know this better than most because you've been at it for so many years um but it's definitely during that process that like I get to know the missing person it's like I get to hear what they were like from their mother you know from their brother and that humanizes them in a way that that like it moves beyond like oh they were here and then they were there but it's like no this person loved to dance this person had like a great sense of humor and there's a whole like constellation of people who are missing them so much you know not missing in the sense that like they're gone but like the the longing that happens um and like just the absolute destructive nature of these things that happen within families i think that's definitely the hardest part for me. Um, I have to say that that was a relief um, for me to not need to talk to the families um, because yeah, I don't wanna stir anything up, um, certainly. Um, I think the part that I, I find most difficult is, for example, the case I'm working on right now, there's a bus stop right outside of where he went missing. And I would like to call them and see if there's any video cameras or anything, any recordings from that day. Um, but I can't, and I know, you know, Lou will pull that information or whoever will pull it. Um, it's just, I want to know right now. <laughs> well, this has been a uh, really productive conversation and, and round table uh, chat with everyone. Is, is there any final thoughts? Does anyone have anything they'd like to, uh, to add before we wrap this uh, conversation here today? Well, I have a question before we wrap. Um, if there's anybody uh, out there who is on the fence about volunteering their time with private investigations for the missing as a researcher or for any organization that does similar work as a researcher, knowing that they're going into it, volunteering their time, knowing all the caveats and the, the emotional uh, pulls that it, that, it, that it comes with the uh, territory, um, can each of you give like a little piece of advice for somebody who might be on the fence? I can, and I'll just say send that email, um, send the email, reach out and kind of, um, put yourself out there. And it, it, sometimes it leads to great things. Um, I mean, I was very nervous. I, um, Tim and Lance, I think you guys have talked about this on a get vocal, um, you know, the imposter syndrome and how that affects and, and, yep. and so, yeah, I, I kind of was suffering from that when I was trying to um, volunteer emailing you guys because I just thought, you know, who am I? What am? What do I have to offer? Um, but really, probably, I mean, I, I, I do, you know, research and um, there's a lot of things I can do, but I think my biggest, um, my biggest motivation is that I, I really care about what happened to these people. Um, it's, it's not just like somebody said earlier, passive listening. Like I really, um, try to rack my brain and, and think about things, um, you know, what happened to them? What could have happened? What are the possibilities? And so that is my motivation. That's kind of what leads me. What, what drives me is that, um, I really probably care too much about every missing person that I hear about. 
it, it feels really good to be able to help in some way. Yeah, just just put yourself out there. Just send the email um, because you never know how you can you can help. And following that, um, my my comment to anyone who is thinking about um, wondering if they could do this or not, um, if they have the skills, um, maybe they they think they do, but they're just uh, you know a little timid about it. Just know that we we all can have contact with each other. When I onboarded, I onboarded with another person and we immediately got together on Facebook and we would bounce stuff off of each other. Um, I know that Eric and I are going to be getting together on Tuesday. Um, if you come on, we, we will help mentor you um, and answer any questions that you might have on what you can do, what you can't do. You know, I was, I was thrown a little into the fire, but that's how I work best. And, um, and now I am happy to share my expertise in doing this for a little over six months on with anyone that wants to come on and be a researcher. Yes, I can, I can speak to that. Um, I joined and um, immediately Bruce welcomed me. That was amazing. I get to do these things with Tim and Lance, which I never thought I, could, I would get to do. Beyond that, my advice is just try it, give it a shot. There's a lot of different ways that you can help. And it doesn't, you know, going through the Facebook posts that, that if that's really traumatic for you, contribute in many, many different ways. Well said, everybody. Well, this has been great, putting a, a face to the names and getting, getting to meet you a little bit. And I hope our audience feels the same way. I think they will. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Erica, Kathleen, Amy, and Jennifer. We really appreciate it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.